Well, you know, you guys need to be aware that I I did pay twenty for the new Emma movie, but it's because it had a bunch of Ren Fair music in it. I had to <laughs> sp- support those artists. There you go. Dear God. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, and I'm joined by my regular co-host, Ted Turner, apologist, Jeremy Ruggles. I strongly believe, was he like WGN? What was that guy's thing? I don't remember. I thought you wrote this one. I probably did. It was me. Who is Ted Ted Turner? Turner? Ted Turner is like TBS, TNT, he only Atlanta Braves, was married to Jane Fonda. I, I don't know if all this is still current. I haven't kept up. Well, then I, my my apologies. I, make this, I mixed this up. We are joined by my regular co-host, Ted Turner apologist, Peter Cook. Man, Turner Broadcasting is just the best. That's Go Braves. The, that's the hot take this episode needed. Here is literal truth. Inside the NBA is bringing more fierce political commentary than any news station on the planet right now. Damn. Damn. You know what? Okay. Are we both just Ted Turner apologists now? <laughs> it's infecting the nation. And, uh, of course, we're also joined by professional inspector of birthday balloon helium, Jeremy Ruggles. Yes. Bad bitch. Don't. Take the brown balloons. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. Did you that like was a that? a Woodstock uh, reference. Yeah, that was uh, maybe some foreshadowing, boys. Legendary foreshadowing, boys. To what, Jeremy? What, what record are you going to talk about this week? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I brought a record. It is my dude, Richie Havens. It is Alarm Clock. And that's the song I'll play first, Alarm Clock. Let's kick it right on off.
Sabbath boys. Yeah, that was a great Sabbath classic right there. Yeah, little funky Sabbath for you. This feels like a great time for me to just own up to my ignorance of Richie Havens. <laughs> Damn, coming clean right out the gate. I'm okay. coming clean right out the gate. I appreciate that. I, for years, until like a couple months ago, had blocked Richie Havens and Richie Valens in my mind as the same person. <laughs> and when I would hear people mention Richie Havens, I would just thought like, oh, that uh, Buddy Holly sounding guy. I don't like that stuff and tuned it out. But uh, Richie Havens is not Richie Valens. <laughs> we are here to tell you. We've got the inside scoop, the deep dive history. Yeah, Richie Havens is actually Black Sabbath. Yep. As you can tell from that song. But he's also so much more, as you'll be able to tell from the different songs we're going to play on this episode. Yeah, that could have been an outtake from Paranoid. Oh, absolutely. Like, unplugged. This is 71? Yep. So it's right around that that same time. Mm -hmm. Who was influencing who? That's a good question. Let's just say it was Richie Havens doing the influencing. I can, yeah. I think we can safely set the record straight there. Yeah. We'll go with that. Yeah. No reason behind it other than it's just probably the truth. So Richie Havens was taller. So. Okay. He was six and a half foot tall. Oh, dang. That's pretty tall. Yeah. Yeah. Especially I, for a folk musician. Yeah. Uh, that's all the biographical data I have. So. <laughs> Got that out of the way. I, re- I read two sentences of the Wikipedia page, so uh, about another song. <laughs> I'm just kidding, guys. He was born in Brooklyn in 1941 and started doo-wop groups in his neighborhood at age 16. Then, as one does, he left home at 17 for Greenwich Village. You boys ever heard of that place? I've heard tell of such a place. Yeah, I think folk artists went there a lot. Yeah, he showed up there in 61, right in the the thick of the beatnik era and the early folk era when things were really starting to, you know, take off in the folk scene there. That's in New York City, if for our listeners. True. That's the cool place in New York. Well, it was the cool place. I don't I don't think it's cool anymore, is it? I think it's just a rich... I have no idea. Ridgewood still rips. Oh, yeah. The Ridgewood Rippers represent. <laughs> That's a shout out right there. Anyways, Richie Havens to make make do in that era was painting portraits of tourists who'd come to see all the folkies. And he began playing in clubs. And he recorded a couple albums that 
or out on small labels that are pretty impossible to find from my understanding. Hmm. But come 1966, he put out his album Mixed Bag. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you guys have seen that one, yeah? Mm-hmm. You see it around. I own a copy. Yeah, that one was with Folkways, but you will most commonly see either that one or Alarm Clock, I, I feel like are his two most common, and non-coincidentally, his two best-selling. Makes sense. All adds up. Not to just like jump ship on your biographical telling here, oh, but please uh, do. Peter, how long have you been a Richie Havens fan? I think you outrank both of us on uh, Richie Havens cred. Oh, I would say about eight years now. Okay. Right around the time he passed away, I'd say it was maybe shortly before he passed away that I, in earnest, started checking him out. I've been aware of him for quite some time, mainly because of his notoriety as being the artist that opened Woodstock, but... Not to jump ahead. Wow. Wow, Peter. You just stole the thunder on that one. (laughs) But Mixed Bag is the one I've listened to the most. Okay. I am, like Jeremy, relatively new into actually being a Richie Havens fan. I've seen his records around a ton. I know at some point early on in record collecting, I listened to one or two of them and was just not into it. I didn't listen to as much folk or roots-based music at that point, which is probably why it it was didn't do anything for me and i just never re-listened to it and uh, a recent record collection i bought and was sorting through had some richie havens and i just kind of had the thought you know i should just put this on see what i think and it was amazing and i actually gave this copy to jeremy because i knew it'd be right up his alley that's true in my ripe old age of thirty-three thousand years old i think i am now it's (laughs) pretty Yeah, it's pretty rare that I hear something and I'm immediately like, oh, that's good. Like, I feel like more often than not these days, I'm like, yeah, it's pretty good. And then just forget about it. Yeah. So the fact that I it just like stuck immediately, it's uh, clearly right up my alley. Yeah, I've gotten pretty good at calling that every once in a while. I come across a record and just like, oh, I know exactly the person for this thing. Yep. It found me. Uh, Well, I guess it's blown now, but the next big uh, story point in Richie Haven's career. Are you going to talk about when he opened Woodstock? Yeah, he opened Woodstock. You don't say. But he wasn't wasn't supposed to. No. Right. I've heard that. I've heard that from Peter before. It was supposed to be Tim Harden. Yep. Do you know the story? Do you want to tell the story, Peter? I want to say that... Tim maybe took a bad combination of drugs and freaked out and went and hid and they didn't have an opener and Richie Havens was up for the challenge and stepped to the plate and knocked it out of the park. Yeah, there's actually a little more too. Tim Harden freaked out and just kind of ran away. He was in some kind of drugged state and the next like three acts were all trapped like way miles away from Woodstock because Mm. the roads were all plugged up and the artists were all in a hotel like 20 miles away. They basically begged Richie to come play because he had the least amount of equipment and they could pick him and 
couple of his band members and their equipment up with a helicopter and fly them back to the stage because it was already like three hours past when the festival was supposed to start at this point. And Richie was like, no, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) And they just begged him and begged him. And he was like, all right, I'll, I'll do that. So, yeah, Richie opened up Woodstock. And didn't he basically run? He played for so long because the other artists still couldn't get in that uh, he basically ran out of material and made improvised his now famous freedom at the end of the set. Yep. There is varying accounts. I saw everywhere from six hours to one hour. But most of the accounts seem to peg it at like between two and three hours that he actually played. Wow. And he claimed he got sent back out on the stage like seven times. He kept like going off stage and the crowd would like really liked it. And then also the organizers were like, we don't have anybody else go back out there. (laughs) I've run festivals like that before. (laughs) On On the scale of Woodstock. Yeah, pretty near. <laughs> Give or take. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he then just ran out of material. And uh, I guess while he was standing up there, a song, he remembered a song from his church going days as a youngster called Motherless Child, or Sometimes I Feel Like a Motherless Child. And the band just started playing that, and he just started like, yelling the word freedom a lot and then occasionally kind of falling back into the song motherless child then yelling freedom some more um and it was kind of a big hit and it was also featured in the woodstock film um as one of the like timeless moments from from the festival yeah it's on the soundtrack as well and a friend of mine john meredith made a good comment on that and i think it kind of for me is something that applies to a lot of Richie Haven's music. And he said whenever he hears his Woodstock performance of Freedom, he kind of goes out of his mind and feels like he's tripping when he hears that. And I feel that way about a lot of Richie Haven's music. Yeah, it's it's very, I'm not sure how to put it. Like the production is kind of unusual, but not like novelty ridiculous trippy sounding but it does put you in like a different state of mind i'm not sure how to where to put my i would say a lot of his arrangement and choice and direction of the music is unexpected yeah he's not an artist that you're like oh i know where this is going and then it happens you're like what what is he doing wait this is a beatles cover that i didn't even like catch for the first few minutes (laughs) all right now we got to play that Uh uh-huh it's been a while. We could play another song. I'd have a song. All right. Here's a Here Comes the Sun, Richie Haven's interpretation of the Beatles. May or may not be a Beatles song. You'll have to find out.
talking about sean that felt like a carbon copy of the beatles original <laughs> start to finish <laughs> did you put on a beatles record jeremy give or take for first sabbath now the beatles mm-hmm. they're covering all their bases with this record i meant to comment on this a little bit after the first song but we went a different direction but i do love all the other playing from his band members on this and i really love the way this record is recorded there's just a an interesting rawness to the whole thing without ever really getting into lo-fi territory. And it seems like each instrument is kind of recorded a little bit differently than the other one. Each kind of has their own little room sound going on with it. And I like, I like it a lot. I think it was a really interestingly recorded record. That song is actually a live recording. And oh. then the other songs are in studio. Okay. I didn't even know that. It That sounded like some just cool studio <laughs> sounds to me. Yeah. The damn good live recording. And he produced this album, correct? Produced by Richie Havens and Mark Roth. Mark Roth. For Stormy Forest Productions. Yeah, that's his label. So that, or that's like Richie Havens. He goes by Stormy Forest. Yeah, he came up with his own label after his initial success, Stormy Forest. Hmm. I think it might be his publishing company, too. Yeah. Well, Mark Roth is not in the band, so this must be an associated producer of some kind. He's David Lee Roth's brother. I hope so. (laughs) That song, Here Comes the Sun, launched this album into the Billboard Top 40. It was the only album Richie Havens had in the Billboard Top 40, but it really, I felt like, showcases his ability to interpret songs where... There's a lot of covering songs in this era where people are just playing it mostly the same. Mm-hmm. But I feel like he does a great job. He also does a, a good version of Just Like a Woman, the Bob Dylan song that feels different. But he has this ability to like take a song and take parts of it that are recognizable but totally shift it so it feels like a different song to me. Yeah, I agree. That's a... A really strong point of his and also he does such an effortless job of combining his influences on here you know you can hear a lot of that gospel influence and you talked about him kind of half covering a gospel standard at woodstock you can hear the the psychedelic and heavier influences of the you know his contemporary bands black sabbath and all the other more psych oriented bands there's a little bit of blues going on you hear elements of jazz and country here and there and it just all works so perfectly and he makes it his own 
Yeah, it definitely feels, you can feel that like Josh White influence in there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned his Dylan cover, the Just Like a Woman. That was on Mixed Bag, and it blows my mind on that album, the range of artists that he covers from the Fugs to Gordon Lightfoot to the Beatles to Dylan. Well, if he was listening to the Fugs, then, uh, you know, <laughs> I know his influences were well, on point. I guess that's New York, right? 60s New York. Yeah, I think we can log yeah. that as further proof that Black Sabbath was riching off or was... <laughs> Ripping off Richie Havens. <laughs> Ripping off Rippy Havens. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Boys, I'm getting ready to move out of state and I'm tired. Ooh. We didn't tell the listeners that yet, Sean. Yeah, that's true. You just let a little cat out the bag there. <laughs> Three weeks from now. Yeah. It won't change a thing here though. We we can uh podcast from a distance thanks to quarantine. Yeah. We've learned how to do it. True. You guys notice any of the other players on this album? Eh? Eh? I saw a couple names. One of note is Buzzy Linhart. Yeah, on the vibraphones. Yeah, I think on just one track, but it's my favorite track. And I don't know if you're planning on playing Missing Train. I could do that one. I was between that one and Younger Men Grow Older, so I'll do Missing Train. I would love that, but we don't have to do that right now. But yeah, Buzzy, (laughs) you got some info on Buzzy? Buzz? Oh, I didn't. Uh, I mean, he was a quirky New York guy himself that actually is, I would say, very similar to Richie Havens in a lot of ways. I didn't really mm. um, think about that until I thought about who he was. Yeah, less, yeah. a little bit less rootsy and more kind of art. Garagey. Well, garagey at times, but some of his stuff was way more into like art rock theater inspired territory. But yeah, a similar guy in approach and just being a very original artist, combining a lot of things into something his own. Yeah, I would say they share um, writing like kind of quirky songs, like structurally, I guess. Yeah, definitely want to cover some Buzzy Linhart next season. Oh, now, yeah, season, next season. We're telling (laughs) our listeners even more. Dropping little nuggets (laughs) all over. Sean can't keep a secret. Mm hmm. (laughs) <laughs> did you notice Some... all the easter eggs in the new episode of i'd buy that for a dollar <laughs> sean hartman's got a secret that's for you jeremy because you're the madonna fan on this podcast thank you peter yeah buzzy worked with a lot of artists i know buffy saint marie is one of them and she's another artist that i'd say is kind of similar to richie havens it looks like uh, mark roth the producer on this also worked with buffy saint marie Makes sense. All right. You guys notice a little Rick Derringer on there, eh? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> I did notice that name as well. Of the McCoys, Steely Dan, Weird Al, and Todd Rundgren. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that totally says everything you need to know about Rick Derringer right there. Yeah. Wait, I did not know that Rick Derringer was in the McCoys, though. Was he like a member that was the whole his, time? Yeah, that was his like original kind of rise to fame was the the sloop yeah my girl sloopy yeah i i like that song even though i hate like most songs of that era they're kind of goofy like that for some reason that one has just always been all right with me yeah you're a rick fan i guess so (laughs) didn't know until just now yeah didn't know till i was reading up on this that he was a regular in the andy warhol like factory scene okay 
namely because he did a lot of drugs and that's what those people did. <laughs> Is that what those people did? I've been wondering all these years. Yeah, there was supposedly art and movies and music coming out of that, but I think they mainly just did drugs. Yeah. Hang on, Sloopy. Sloopy, hang on. <laughs> Sorry, you got that in my head now. It's so catchy. And the only other name I recognize, but I'm not as smart about music stuff as you guys, but Bill Keith played some of the steel guitar. Do you know either of you who that is? That name sounds super familiar, but please enlighten me. So he played steel guitar in this, but he's most well known as a banjo player and was the banjo player with Bill Monroe. Oh, mm. oh shit. The OG. Yeah. And he there's like a, I would say like a sub style of banjo called the Keith style that is like similar to Scrugg style, but he had like his own, I guess, kind of dialect of it. That would make sense. Bill Monroe was a highly original musician that kind of played by his own rule book, so to speak. So it would make sense that his uh, band members <laughs> might develop some uh, unusual styles as well. He only worked with other people named Bill. <laughs> that was one of the rules. <laughs> no. Bill's yeah. got to stick together, you know? If it fits the bill. Speaking of unique style, did you guys pick up on uh, Richie's guitar playing? You guys uh, notice the the style there? I mean, I just noticed that it sounded raw and like super cool, but I wasn't thinking a lot about how he was creating it. Yeah. Was it the Piedmont tradition? No. His thing was that he would open tune his guitar, which means when you just strum it without touching anything, it makes a chord sound automatically. Mm. So mm. he would open tune his guitar and then that freed him up to think more rhythmically and less about like where to fret the notes. And he could just like bar the different chords he was going to use and mostly focus on the strumming. So he, you can hear him do a lot of like pretty interesting rhythms and then also like really fluttery, like fast strumming. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, very percussive too. Yeah. Yeah, he just like I, he would wail on that thing. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of rhythm going on in this record. A lot more rhythm you'd ever expect for who is a, you know essentially a folk musician. Yeah, yeah, not a lot of rhythm coming out of Greenwich, <laughs> Greenwich at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some of those artists, if they weren't accompanied, they really wouldn't have much rhythm at all. They would seem to be in their own time. <laughs> yes, even Dylan. Even Dylan, especially Dylan. That dude couldn't even keep rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't uh, sing, couldn't play, but some people like him, I guess. Oh, I like him. I think all three of us are solid Dylan fans. Yeah. Truth. Just got to uh, set the record straight. Well, there's only one Steely Dan hater, and there's no, there's no Dylan haters. No Dylan haters here. Dylan demographic that listens to our show. <laughs> Yeah, Dylan Lancaster. <laughs> cool <laughs> reference, Peter. <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> Shout out hey, to our friend Dylan... that no one else knows. I mean, some hey, people know. Hey, no, wait. Dylan Lancaster is probably more famous of a, a musician than any of us. True. Fair enough. But do you, how many of our listeners know about Dylan Lancaster before this? 
<laughs> well, I listen to the show. So right. Oh, my God. <laughs> Anyways, Richie Havens. Find Dylan Lancaster on like Bandcamp or something, I guess. I don't know. Talk about oh, Richie yeah. Havens. Shout out. <laughs> Richie Havens. He was not quite as radical as some of his cohort, but he was way more consistent than, say, like Phil Oaks or a lot of, I don't know, a lot of those people kind of burned out, it seemed like, and stopped advocating for social causes, and Richie didn't. Richie kept up his whole life. He spent a lot of time and effort on environmental causes and started the Northwind Undersea Institute in the Bronx and also the Natural Guard, which was a group designed to promote hands-on activities for kids to teach them about ecology and the environment. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And he, he kept playing music as well. He toured and made music for 45 years and then in 2012 stopped touring for health conditions and then he passed away a couple months after that Hmm. so he kept playing pretty much right up till the end impressive yeah he performed bill clinton's inauguration in 93 okay so we got another uh presidential inauguration performer here true true to add to our list we've covered here the question is did bill insist on playing the sax with him during that performance oh lord he probably did (laughs) if i remember 1993 (laughs) which i do (laughs) i don't because i was six i mean there's a lot more about richie haven's There's a good autobiography if you want to get into. He covers the Greenwich Village scene growing up in that scene without like a lot of dilling gossip or like talking about the stars or whatever. Apparently, it's more people that nobody's heard of. And does he talk about Karen Dalton in there? You know, she was part of that, Jeremy. Yeah, I don't know if he meant i didn't actually get through all the autobiography i just read bits and chunks because i'm a slacker and can barely read (laughs) now is anybody going to mention how uh we've mentioned richie havens on this show at least one other time oh i don't even remember that peter do you remember i know that we have i don't remember the context well uh, was it melanie i think I think it was Melanie and the Jimmy Spheris episode. Oh, oh, the very first episode. The very first episode. Richie Havens is the one that got Jimmy signed. He introduced him to the label exec. That's right. I recall that now. Yep. Almost a year ago that we talked about that. <laughs> My, how time flies. My, how time flies. You know, guys, it's kind of feeling like the end of the season right now. Are you guys getting that feeling? It's, uh, it certainly feels like the time of the season for ending. Let me play a song just for this moment called End of the Seasons. Very appropriate. Maybe my favorite. This is probably my favorite song on okay. this album. And then we're going to close with Peter's favorite? And we'll close with Peter's favorite at the end of the, the show here. Okay. Well, we'll just we'll call that Beatles cover my favorite, so 
all three of us are happy. Yay! Are we positive he's not collaborating with Tangerine Dream on that track? Because, my God, he really can do everything. Yeah, that was uh, Tonto's expanding headband, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that yeah, that one definitely throws you for a loop. You don't see that one coming, but it's just further proof that Richie Havens goes all over the place. It, it throws you for a loop and yet doesn't seem out of place. Yeah. Yeah, but that's kind of, again, like... His song, song for song, you can feel like you're tripping in a whole new way with each direction he takes, but it's still cohesive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he sticks out a lot of territory in this album. And from my understanding, a lot of his other albums are similarly expansive in their their reach. I'm, like I said, I'm only a few months. This is like post-COVID times that I started being into Richie, so I still have a lot of territory to explore too (laughs) i think his album mixed bag just kind of says it all the title whoa you never thought of it that way you're right man (laughs) (laughs) we're doing a period appropriate (laughs) commentary here (laughs) it's like it's the 60s all over again Mm -hmm. in the early 70s but if you think about it life is kind of a mixed bag you know it's like art reflecting life whoa Damn, man. What do you think his album Mixed Bag 2 says then? <laughs> Does that mean we're coming back again? No, it just means that things never get better. It's oh. Mixed Bag 11. <laughs> oh, Lord. So I heard that uh, this show might be introducing seasons. 
It's not just going to keep dropping every week for the end of time. What's that all about, guys? Well, Sean, you're moving across the country. Right. As you've already mentioned. Right. So by the, by the time this airs, I will have been moved. Yeah, you'll probably be either moving or moved. Or you will have just moved, probably, yeah. I mean, how, how far ahead are we in recording these right now? Two, three weeks? I think two, two weeks. weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. So yeah, when this when this drops, I will have been living in Philadelphia for three days. Yeah. So we're going to take a couple weeks off because yep. Sean Dad needs some time to square away his new life far away from us. Unpack my records and my microphone and my computer and all of that. Yeah. Get one good night's rest at least. Yeah. We'll be returning next week still though for one more episode. And episode that, 52. Yeah, that's going to be number 52 celebrating the fact that we dropped an episode every week for a whole year, which is crazy. There was, you know, there was obstacles too. You know, it wasn't easy to accomplish what we accomplished. I just want people to know that. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we'll let them know in full. That's like <laughs> semi-sarcastic and semi-earnest, really. Though. It's true. Yeah. I mean, what's what's the number? The majority of podcasts are done by episode seven. Yeah. So, we crush yeah. that. Yeah. And almost no podcasts drop an episode every single week. <laughs> like Most of them take like a month off here and there. Yeah. Aside from the ones that get paid to do it. Yeah, even they take time off. That's true. That's very true. Well, if it's, my... if it's good enough for them. Yeah. So we're going to keep it pretty brief, though. It'll be just a couple weeks. Then we'll be back with uh, what we will dub season two. Then we're going to come back and run for who knows, maybe another year. Maybe we'll need time off. Oh, at least a year. Well, I mean, we're going to be running the show forever, but yeah, I mean, until our next break. Oh, right, we don't right, even right, right, have right. another foreseeable break after this. Right. Probably when either Peter or I move away. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we gauge the seasons when one of us moves. <laughs> yeah. We'll have another one next week for you. Peter will be bringing us something good. And then, you know, you get a few weeks of reflection. You're probably not <laughs> caught up. I mean, only... Well, maybe we do have a lot of devoted listeners who are fully caught up because we put out a lot of stuff. Yeah, and it's all good. It's I can't think of a single bad episode we've ever released. True. I can't argue oh, that. I'll be, I'll be talking all about all the bad ones next week when we do our retrospective. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Letting the hard truth fly. So it's going like to be like a half and half episode next week. We're going to talk about a new record and then just kind of reflect. On the year we are, we are going to look back the records we've loved, maybe some records we didn't love, the times we've had, etc. etc. It'll be we're going to structure it identically to the final Seinfeld episode, is my plan. <laughs> we're just going to make phone calls to every guest and maybe some of the musicians we've talked about. Yeah, and we're going to be in court for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> Jimmy Page may or may not be on the it'll, next episode. Yeah, it'll probably be like <laughs> Jimmy Page and the Scientologist suing us. All right, we're ready. We're lawyered up and ready to go. Come at us. Yeah, I mean, that formula worked so well for Seinfeld in their <laughs> last episode. Yep, legendary final episode. Couldn't have done it any better if we tried. All right, let's wrap it up. Mm-hmm.
Thank you for listening to another I'd Buy That for a Dollar. We're going to go out on Waiting for the Train. I think we have a train in Peter's microphone right now, strangely enough. I'm hearing a little train. Yeah, little train. It's almost gone. Just to reiterate, Richie Havens is not Richie Valens, so next time you see one, grab it up, because it's good stuff. Agreed. My name's Jeremy Ruggles. My name's not Jeremy Ruggles. It's Sean Hartman. And my name is Peter Cook, and the train that was on my end seems to be missing. So this is Richie Havens with Missing Train. Thank you for correcting my in uh, wrong song title. <laughs> Here we what go. What did you say? I think I said waiting for the train. <laughs> oh, okay. I know that someday we will meet again And I know that in some ways it will be the same I know it will I took the time